Chapter Two of the Money Moon. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Money Moon, a Romance by Geoffrey Farnell. Chapter Two. How George Bellew sought counsel of his valet. The first intimation Bellew received of the futility of his hopes was the following letter which he received one morning as he sat at breakfast in his chambers at St. James Street, W. My dear George, I am writing to tell you that I like you so much that I am quite sure I could never marry you. It would be too ridiculous. Liking, you see, George, is not love, is it? though personally i think all that sort of thing went out of fashion with our great-grandmother's hoops and crinolines so george i have decided to marry the duke of ryde the ceremony will take place in three weeks time at st george's hanover square and every one will be there of course if you care to come too so much the better i won't say that i hope you will forget me because i don't but i am sure you will find someone to console you because you are such a dear fellow and so ridiculously rich so good-bye and best wishes ever yours most sincerely sylvia now under such circumstances had bellew sought oblivion and consolation from bottles or gone headlong to the devil in any of other numerous ways that are more or less inviting deluded people would have pitied him and shaken grave heads over him for it seems that disappointment, more especially in love, may condone many offences, and cover as many sins as charity. But Bellew, knowing nothing of that latter-day hysteria which wears the disguise and calls itself temperament, and being only a rather ordinary young man, did nothing of the kind. Having lighted his pipe, and read the letter through again, he rang instead for Baxter his valet. Baxter was small and slight and dapper as to person, clean-shaven, alert of eye, and soft of movement. In a word, Baxter was the cream of gentlemen's gentlemen, and the very acme of what a valet should be, from the very precise parting of his glossy hair to the trim toes of his glossy boots. Baxter, as has been said, was his valet, and had been his father's valet before him, and as to age, might have been thirty or forty or fifty as he stood there beside the table with one eyebrow raised a trifle higher than the other waiting for bellew to speak baxter sir take a seat thank you sir and baxter sat down not too near his master nor too far off but exactly at the right and proper distance baxter i wish to consult with you as between master and servant sir as between man and man baxter very good mr george sir i should like to hear your opinion baxter as to what is the proper and most accredited course to adopt when one has been er uh, crossed in love why sir said baxter slightly wrinkling his smooth brow so far as i can call to mind the courses usually adopted by despairing lovers are in number four name them baxter first mr george there is what i may term the course retaliatory which is marriage marriage 
"'With another party, sir, on the principle that there are as good fish in the sea as ever came out, and uh, pebbles on beaches, sir, uh, you understand me, sir?' Uh, "'Perfectly. Go on. Secondly, there is the army, sir. I have known of a good many enlistments on account of blighted affections, Mr. George, sir. Indeed, the army is very popular.' "'Ah?' said Bellew settling the tobacco in his pipe with the aid of the salt-spoon. Proceed, Baxter. Thirdly, Mr. George, there are those who are content to... to merely disappear. Hmm, said Bellew. And lastly, sir, though it is usually the first, there is dissipation, Mr. George. Drink, sir, the consolation of bottles, and... Exactly, nodded Bellew. Now, Baxter he pursued, beginning to draw diagrams on the tablecloth with the salt-spoon. "'Knowing me as you do, what course would you advise me to adopt?' "'You mean, Mr. George, speaking is between man and man, of course. You mean that you are in the unfortunate position of being crossed in your affections, sir?' "'Also broken-hearted, Baxter.' "'Certainly, sir. Miss Marchmont marries the Duke of Ryde. In three weeks, Baxter.' "'Indeed, sir. You were, I believe, aware of the fact that Miss Marchmont and I were as good as engaged?' "'I had <clears throat> gathered as much, sir.' "'Then, confound it all, Baxter, why aren't you surprised?' "'I am quite overcome, sir.' said Baxter, stooping to recover the salt-spoon which had slipped to the floor. "'Consequently,' pursued Bellow, "'I am uh, broken-hearted, as I told you.' "'Certainly, sir.' "'Crushed, uh, despondent, and utterly hopeless, Baxter, and shall be henceforth pursued by the uh, haunting spectre of the might-have-been.' "'Very natural, sir, indeed.' I could have hoped, Baxter, that, having served me so long, not to mention my father, you would have shown just a, a shade more feeling in the matter. And if you were to ask me, as between man and man, sir, why I don't show more feeling, then, speaking as the old servant of your respected father, Master George, sir, I should beg most respectfully to say that regarding the lady in question, her conduct is not in the least surprising, Miss Marchmont being a beauty and aware of the fact, Master George. Referring to your heart, sir, I am ready to swear that it is not even cracked. Now, sir, what clothes do you propose to wear this morning? And pray, why should you be so confident of regarding the uh, condition of my heart? "'Because, sir, speaking as your father's old servant, Master George, I make bold to say that I don't believe that you have ever been in love, or even known what love is, Master George, sir.' Bellew picked up the salt-spoon, balanced it very carefully upon his finger, and put it down again. "'Nevertheless,' said he, shaking his head, I can see for myself but the dreary perspective of a hopeless future, Baxter, blasted by the haunting spectre of the might-have-been. I'll trouble you to push the cigarettes a little nearer. 
"'And now, sir,' said Baxter, as he rose to strike and apply the necessary match, "'what suit will you wear to-day?' "'Something in tweeds.' "'Tweeds, sir? Surely you forget your appointment with the Lady Cecily Prynne and her party? Lord Montclair had me on the telephone last night. Also a good heavy walking-stick, Baxter, and a knapsack.' "'A knapsack, sir?' I shall set out on a walking tour in an hour's time. Certainly, sir. Where to, sir? I haven't the least idea, Baxter, but I'm going, in an hour. On the whole, of the four courses you describe for one whose life is blighted, whose heart, I say whose heart, Baxter, is broken, utterly smashed, and er, shivered beyond repair, I prefer to disappear. In an hour, Baxter. "'Shall you drive the touring-car, sir, or the new racer?' "'I shall walk, Baxter, alone, in an hour.'" End of chapter 2